is not only what creates us as new creatures in Christ. We're recreated by God's word, but we're sustained by it. And so each week as sojourners on this earth, we turn to it for our life. If you have a Bible, turn to Proverbs chapter 1 as we continue on in our series through Proverbs. And we're in chapter 1. We'll start in verse 20. When I was in college, that time of life is not known by many to be a time of, of particular wisdom, good decisions. When I was in college, I had a class, it was a finance class, and every, every class, for the most part, has a, a first day that's kind of like the syllabus day that you know, like you show up, you kind of get the instructions, and hopefully they'll let you go soon. And so I was in this finance class and I uh, got the syllabus for the day. And the professor, I think he was the head of the department. That should have been my first clue to get out. He started going through the syllabus and he just explaining as one who is an expert in this field, who knows how to make this class work out well for even the students, who knows how it could be dealt with best, is telling us, here's what you're going to need or not need for the class. And one of the things that he said you're going to need for the class is a financial calculator. Now, I had a calculator that was much more expensive than a financial calculator. I had a, uh, one of those graphing calculators, you know. That's like three times the, the price of a financial calculator, like $30 for a financial calculator. So I'm like, I don't need a financial calculator. Like, I can do this. My calculator can do all sorts of stuff. I'll figure it out. And so, instead of spending the $30, I decided to be cheap and not listen to the professor's advice to make sure that I obtained the financial calculator. I wasn't lured by others. A gang didn't come to me and say, hey, you know what? Let's do something really crazy. Let's go to the bookstore and let's not even buy that financial calculator. Let's just roll with what we have. Nothing like that happened. But what did happen is I failed to listen to the voice of someone who had much greater knowledge and actually knew how to succeed in the class because he created the class. Sounds innocent enough to just not listen to a voice of knowledge and wisdom. And I think that it always will. It'll always sound pretty innocent to just, oh, we don't need to worry about that. And we will convince ourselves that walking away from that voice of knowledge and wisdom is no big deal. But the end we hear from the scripture is that it will be costly. And the book of Proverbs is trying to convince us of that reality. That walking away from the voice of wisdom, the the voice of knowledge, is costly. Here in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20 through 33, through the end of chapter 1, Proverbs is calling out to the simple calling out, trying to give instruction, and calling upon people to hear and to respond to wisdom's call. Now, wisdom is no longer calling in this portion of Scripture as a father to a son, but is personified in another way as a woman crying out. So if you have your book of Proverbs in front of you, chapter 1, let's look in verse 20. It says, wisdom cries aloud in the street. And in the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. Now, I think that it's important to remember that the wisdom and the, the wisdom of Proverbs is God's wisdom. It comes from him. He is the source of all of that wisdom. And so when we see wisdom crying out, we got to see God is the source. He is the one who is crying out to others. And I think that's why the often and, and why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of it is because God is the source of true wisdom. And then if you want actual wisdom, you're going to have to submit to the Lord. You're going to have to revere Him and be in awe of Him. That's the beginning of wisdom. 
But isn't it interesting? We've, we've gone through now, going to finish chapter 1 this morning, and God's wisdom is personified a couple different times already. Last week it was a father to a son or even a mother to a son. And here it's a woman crying out in the streets. In other words, I think that God is communicating something that, that his wisdom is not just about knowledge. It's not just about gaining something in your head. It's personified, and I think that that's hinting at that, that this wisdom is also about relationship, that there's something about intimacy and one-to-one personal relationship that's associated with it. So we have a father to a son. That's a family relationship, close-knit relationship, and here we have a woman shouting out. It's not a book that's crying out in the street. It's a person. Wisdom comes from relationship with God. It comes from interacting with him. This is a relationship that God actually wants with us. And so this is good news to us who are naturally foolish and simple-minded, who are naturally the enemies of the people of God, that God actually wants a relationship with us. He wants us to walk in the fear of the Lord and in wisdom. Now what happens when this wisdom calls out? If God is the source of it, you would think that something big would happen. So if you go to a courtroom, there might be some chatter going around, and then everything gets silent and all rise when the judge enters. Why? Because this is, a, this is an important and a prominent person. So when they come in, we're going to give them hearing. We're going to listen. That should be the reception of God's wisdom, but the picture here is very different. Look what wisdom is doing. Crying out in the street. She's, she's out in the market. She's out at these public places. It seems as if like normal everyday life is going on as normal and wisdom is crying out and, and people may or may not pay attention. She steps up to the podium and she starts shouting, but the podium isn't in a university. The podium isn't at a temple. Right, wisdom, she, she's at the streets. She's, she's at the market. She's at the city gates. No, she's, she's out in the open and, and she's public and she wants to be found. She wants to be heard. She's in this public place, open for all. And so wisdom then appeals then not to some learned class or some elite or maybe even some religious class. There's no special category at all that wisdom appeals to. This is for all people. And so you don't have to be Indiana Jones and go on a crusade to figure out how to dig up wisdom. I think that's how wisdom is often given out to us. Like, yeah, you're going to have to figure out how to work this out. You're going to have to go on this long crusade and you're going to have all these special skills to gain wisdom. I think the picture is different here. You don't have to be a sage who can go up to some remote mountain range to meditate over hours or days or months on end in order to gain what wisdom has to offer. Wisdom is coming out and, and is calling out in public places, come to me. God wants us to have wisdom. He gave us the book of Proverbs so that we might have more wisdom. He cries out for us to take heed, to listen to what he has to offer and what he has to say. And so God is not some celestial Ebenezer Scrooge, some cold-hearted miser up in heaven. It's like, well, I'll only give you wisdom if you're going to go up this mountain and stay there for months. Or I'm only going to give you wisdom if you can dig it up. He's out trying to be known, trying to be heard. That's what wisdom is doing here. God is a generous giver. We read in James chapter 1 that if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. It's a good source to go to. If you lack wisdom, where should you go? You should go to the source of wisdom. You should ask God. And here is what it says, is that God is the one who gives generously. He gives generously. The problem of the lack of wisdom isn't on God's end. It's not as if he's not willing to hand over wisdom. 
It's not as if he's lacking any wisdom. If anyone wants wisdom, it can be found. She can be found on the streets, at the market, at the city gate. She's out there. She's crying out. She doesn't need to be hunted. She's hunting others and crying out to them. And I just am reminded by this of the character of God, the consistent character of God that we see through the Scripture, who doesn't wait for us to come to him, but he comes to us. Who knows that we wouldn't come to him. We are enemies of his. We don't want to be a part of it, but he comes after us, takes on flesh and pursues us in love, in wisdom. He calls to us. This is the character of God. This is why we sing. We sang it last week. If God had not loved me first, I would refuse him still. But he does love us first, and he does pursue us, and he does come after us. And it has to be so for sinners and for fools like us. If we are to have salvation, if we are to have wisdom, God is going to have to come after us. And here, he's coming after us with wisdom, that we might have it. In this passage, I see a couple different barriers. There could be plenty more added, I'm sure, but at least two that seem to be clear to barriers to responding to wisdom's call, and they are noise and need. And I think that these two are related. So here we have noise. Wisdom goes out in the city streets and in the markets and the city gates. These are noisy places. There are a lot of things going on here. These are open public places. There's all sorts of buying, selling, different talks going on in all of these places. So there's much going on. And so these are places where the voice of wisdom could easily be missed. One uh, author said this. He wrote in this book... uh, The world makes such a noise in men's ears that they cannot hear the things of heaven. And isn't that the picture here? You you have all these noises. One is good. The language of heaven is coming out after us, but there's all sorts of noises. And sometimes there's so much noise that we can't hear wisdom. Worldly noises all around. And God's wisdom is crying for an audience. And the problem isn't availability. The problem isn't God's willingness or generosity. Part of the problem could be that other noises are allowed to drown out the voice of wisdom. So we have to ask ourselves, what what voices, what noises are keeping us from hearing wisdom's call that is certainly going out, that is open and public to us? And maybe it's not that wisdom isn't heard at all, but that it's one voice among many. And that we lend our ear to another that's crying out for us to turn their direction. In the book, famous book of Pilgrim's Progress, Christian has this burden on him, and he's going to the celestial city. He's trying to get rid of his burden, and he's walking. And a long way off, he sees a man. His name is Worldly Wise Man, and they see each other, and they meet. It's almost as if they're like, that. you can't avoid it. Worldly Wise Man, and you are going to meet on the path. If you're going to walk as a Christian, you're going to meet this man somewhere along the way, and he's going to appeal to you. He's going to be compelling to you. Listen to me. Oh, you don't need to drop your burden off there. I think there's a better way for you to drop your burden off. And Christian wasn't compelled in the story by his argument, by the argument of Worldly Wise Man, because his, his burden was too heavy, and he trusted the evangelist that pointed him onward. But worldly wisdom is sure to be crying out to us, sure to meet us on our pilgrimage, sure to meet us on the road. Now, the the content of worldly wisdom's message is going to be different than wisdom from God, but will we reject it or not? Will we reject worldly wisdom and listen to godly wisdom when we see it? What we want to see here is, is that godly wisdom, wisdom crying out in the street, is more compelling to us than worldly wisdom. 
And honestly, the, the reason we choose worldly wisdom over godly wisdom is because we find it more compelling. Because we actually think that looks like the good life, that, that what Lady Wisdom is offering here isn't the good life, and that there's something else that's better out there. And Proverbs is saying, no, Lady Wisdom is offering the good life, and it is compelling to turn her direction. And I think this leads into the second barrier, which I think is related to the first, and that being need. Need. If you have a sense of neediness for something, no noise is going to blur that out. You're going to find what you need. You can't stop need. You have to have something. And so remember in the book of James, chapter 1, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom. That is if. Let's just be honest. Like, we all lack wisdom. Why is he even put if in there? There's there's a sense of self-awareness. Do you understand? Do you know that you lack wisdom? Is there a need? Do you need wisdom? I think the same is affirmed as we read in Proverbs, verse 22. It says, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Wisdom is available out in public, open to all, even open to the simple and scoffers and fools. All of them are included, but there's a requirement for wisdom. What is it? There's another if here. If you turn. That is, there's an understanding that you need to hear what wisdom has to say. There's an awareness that I need wisdom. I I need relationship with this person. I I need to walk in the fear of the Lord. You're aware of your need. Now, Jesus brings this out well in Matthew chapter 11. He says, I thank you, Father, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. In other words, like, They think that they have wisdom and understanding, but the ones who actually get it are the ones who are like children who come in their neediness, coming to be provided for, to have their needs met to another. Those are the ones who gets wisdom. No one gets wisdom by just learning enough. You have to know your need if you're going to get wisdom. You can't just go and study books and just know enough stuff and then it happens. The one who's wise in his own eyes will never turn in to Lady Wisdom will never come and listen to what she has to say. This is why Paul would warn us and says, never be wise in your own sight. Never be wise in your own sight. Humility is needed. Hearing and turning is necessary. It's the responsive that wisdom works with, not the knowledgeable or the religious elite or those who get a lot of time alone in the mountains for meditation. It's those who respond to her call are the ones that she works with. It says, if you turn. And I love that word, turn. It's a prominent word throughout the scriptures, the same word that we would use for the the term repentance. It means you're turning from your life, your wisdom, your way of doing things, your desires, your motivations, to something better, toward the living God. You're, You're casting off, turning away from all these other voices that are calling out to you in the streets, and you're turning to the voice of wisdom, and you're listening, if you turn. And it's interesting that 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 term brings in a moral dimension to wisdom. In other words, your your path of wisdom might seem innocent enough, but there's a moral dimension to it. That if you reject lady wisdom, you are morally off track. Not just in terms of what we would consider neutral wisdom. And so part of the awareness of our need is our awareness that, that our way isn't innocent that the path and the way of life that we're, we're living by, that the wisdom we're living by isn't an innocent way. It's an evil way. 
And so the response of turning from that way is necessary because the path needs to be changed. In Acts chapter 2, Peter and the disciples, after receiving the Spirit, they, they begin proclaiming the Word of God. Peter specifically steps up and he gives this great sermon. And it says of the sermon that the people that were listening were cut to the heart. They understood their need. They, they started like, I, I get what he's saying and it cuts me to the heart. I need something. And so they begin to question. They're their calling out and say, well, what then must we do to be saved? So they're looking for a voice. They're listening. They're ready to turn. And what does he tell them? Turn. Repent. Repent is what he tells them. Here in Acts chapter 2, the, the gospel's out in the open. It's being proclaimed. People are hearing its voice. And the requirement to have a part in the gospel, to have a relationship with God, is to respond to that message, to repent from our way of life, and to turn to God's. Wisdom here is doing the same. It's out in the open. It's calling. You need to see your need and turn at wisdom's reproof in your life. If you want to walk in the fear of the Lord, if you want to walk in wisdom in relationship with God, you have to respond by turning. And what's the... What's the response for the responsive? Now verse 23 says, If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. In other words, God's not armed cross like, well, I guess you turn now. It's about time. Then do that. I'm going to pour out my spirit. If you turn, I'm, going to, I'm not going to be standoffish. You're not going to be rejected. There's an evident willingness to pour out to those who come needy, knowing that I, they need wisdom, knowing that there's something that they need to be looking for. God is, is generous. And so the question, I think, that needs to resound in us as we go through this text comes from verse 22. How long? How long are we going to put this off? How long are we going to reject and refuse the voice of wisdom? How long are we going to think that our own path is fine and that it seems pretty innocent and ignore the voice of wisdom, the voice of God? How many sermons is it going to take? How many times of confrontation? How many invitations to listen to God's word? How many, how many times does she need to cry out before we will turn? Listen to wisdom's call. Respond. Turn to her. Walk in the fear of the Lord. And here's what will happen. He's going to receive you. He says he's going to pour out his spirit so that you will understand these things. I'm going to make my words known to you. The reality is that refusing wisdom is to invite calamity. That's where we go in verse 24. It says, because I have called you and you refuse to listen, I have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. And because you have ignored all my counsel, and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Wisdom called, wisdom stretched out, wisdom held out her hand, wisdom counseled, wisdom reproved. And so the problem isn't ignorance. We can't just say, well, I didn't know better. No, wisdom is saying otherwise here. No, I called out. I was out there open in the public, and you refuse to listen. That's what's happened. There's a failure to heed. There's an ignoring and a rejecting of the reproof that has been offered. That's, that's the problem here. That's deep-seated in all sinful hearts. This refusal is going to inevitably be followed by what? By calamity and terror. Disaster. Notice the words here. It's a win. There's not an if here. Not if you turn. It's when this happens. When it's a big word. You've heard probably the phrase that hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Right, this is the woman wisdom scorned. And there's some fury here. 
when wisdom is cast aside and is refused, when that happens, calamity and terror, distress and anguish come. It's repeated so that we would have assurance that this is a, a win and not an if. If we want to reject wisdom, there's definitely a win. The good news is that right now, wisdom is, is calling out for any and all who will respond, who will listen, and who will turn. But that's not always going to be the case. It's going to be a time when wisdom no longer is calling out. And here the judgment is announced beforehand to warn and to necessarily warn us that we would know in advance that if we reject that there's calamity to follow, it's needed because there's foolishness wrapped up in our hearts. Verse 28 says that they will call upon me, but I will not answer. And they will seek me diligently, but will not finally find me. Verse 20, where we started, what's happening? Wisdom is out and calling and then refused. And here the tables are turned and it's completely reversed. Here, those who have rejected wisdom are calling out and it's wisdom who is no longer responding. Here's a, a fool trying to find his way out of trouble, calling, wisdom, help me now. But their indifference, their rejection has found them out and has caught up with them. 28 is really clear. They will call upon me and I won't answer. They're going to seek me even diligently, but I'm not going to, they're not going to find me. Man, is this fair? This seems pretty harsh. Here we are, finally willing to call after wisdom, and now she's turning away from me, and he won't listen to me. And we know this isn't just wisdom, lady wisdom, right? This is, this is God pronouncing a judgment in advance, and now we want to come to him, and it seems like he's just turning us away. But what about all this generosity talk? Is this fair? Well, the reality is that God owes no one anything. God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't have to offer us wisdom at all. He doesn't have to give us life. He doesn't have to offer anything. But the simple, who love being simple, and the scoffers who delight in their scoffing, and the fools who hate knowledge, are called out to. In the midst of all the other noises that they have, God's voice is ringing out. He cares. He's coming after us. And there were other noises, and there was no need, and there was a refusing of wisdom, and a refusing to walk in the fear of the Lord. And so God freely and graciously has offered to us so much that once that offer is refused and rejected, it is to invite the result of verse 28, calamity. This terror that God announces is an unfair announcement. We want to talk about fair. We don't deserve to know what God will or will not do, but God warns us in advance because he loves us. He's giving us an unfair announcement. If you reject wisdom, if you reject me, there's calamity to follow. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to give us that in advance. And not only is it announced beforehand so that it can be avoided, but he actually gives even further explanation for us. Verse 29 says, They hated knowledge, and they didn't choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of his counsel, and they despised all of his reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way, and they shall have the fill of their own devices. What vivid language of rejection is given here? And it needs to be vivid because we don't think refusing wisdom sounds that dangerous, do we? Does refusing wisdom sound dangerous to you? Sound like it's going to bring on terror itself and calamity and disaster? It doesn't me. 
not listening and not turning to wisdom call doesn't sound particularly evil. And in fact, it kind of sounds kind of neutral. You've got all these voices, and that one seems better, but even if I don't choose it, what's the harm in that? But here, in the book of Proverbs, what's really clear is the refusal to hear wisdom, the refusal to turn into where wisdom is calling is destructive, is blameworthy, is without excuse even, sinful before God. And the calamity then that falls, he says, is, is the fruit of their own way. The result of following the counsel that they'd received is that they're going to get the fruit of what they followed. And if you didn't follow wisdom, you're sure to face calamity and destruction. They're going to face the consequences for their rejection of wisdom call. Now one pastor says it so well that God uses no trickery. The hardness of heart inherits itself. That's what's going on here. The hardness of heart, the indifference that is had towards the voice of, of true wisdom from the Lord, it's inheriting itself and it inherits calamity and destruction. And God would spare us of that. That's why he's calling out. That's why he's warning us. That's why he's saying, come this way, don't go that way. Or you're probably all wondering what happened in my finance class. I know that you've been thinking about it long and hard. <laughs> I did not buy the financial calculator and the storm was approaching. It's called the midterm exam. I was just going to saddle up and go after it with my graphing calculator, see how that worked. So I came, took the test, didn't go well. I refused to listen to the voice of wisdom and the storm fell. Calamity fell. And the question from verse 22 comes back to us again, how long? How long? You can go the whole semester without a financial calculator. It's pretty simple. 30 bucks. All right. But our lives are more important. How long? How long are we going to reject the voice of wisdom? There's not an if in front of us. It's a win for those who don't turn. When calamity strikes. And it's kind of God to expose us to the end before it happens so that we wouldn't refuse to walk in the fear of the Lord and receive his wisdom. We need to hear but God is also gracious to give us another win, not just the fool is spoken of here, but also those who listen. Verse 32, for the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without the dread of disaster. Verse 32 talks about the, the simple again, the, the wrong kind of turning happens. Now, the simple lawyer turned away from wisdom, not to wisdom, with the wrong turn. And this isn't just the turning of indifference, this is the turning of rejection. And the simple here, as they're called, are, are careless in this. They, they have what we see as called complacency, the complacency of fools. Complacency is this false sense of security that everything's going to be okay, it's no big deal. But it's false. And because of their false sense of security, they turn from what they need to other things that will eventually destroy them. One commentator says that to be complacent is as bad as outright rejection. Although I think complacency sounds a little better. It doesn't make it any better. It's as bad as outright rejection. Indeed, that's what it is. And so in verse 32 and 33, you're going to see this huge contrast between those who have rejected lady wisdom and those who listened and turned. So we see verse 33 says a different story. And we only get one verse. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Amen. 
Notice the extension of this when, though. Who's this for? Whoever listens to me. Whoever. Here we are again with wisdom casting a broad net to whoever would turn. You don't need to have gone up the mountain. You don't need to have dug this out of the earth. It's whoever will just turn and listen to me. Those are the ones that I'm going to extend this out to. You don't have to be some religious elite. You don't have to have some sort of special knowledge. You have to be one who will respond to wisdom's call and will turn. That's what you have to be. Turn for wisdom. You have to respond. And the one who listens dwells secure. That's the normal expectation of the wise. Where the fool has some sort of false sense of security, some some counterfeit ease. The wise person will be at ease, will be without dread. In other words, to walk in the fear of the Lord, to listen to wisdom, is to have a secure life. You ever notice in the Gospels, if you read about the life of Jesus, that Jesus was, he was obviously different from everybody else around him. But Jesus always seemed to get worked up when everyone else was calm. And he always seemed to be calm when everyone else was worked up. And so everyone's calm and selling things in the temple. And Jesus comes in and just starts throwing stuff. And he has a whip and he just starts going to town. Like, what is happening here? Everyone's looking around like, who does this guy think he is? They're all calm. He's upset. Or there's this really big storm in the middle of the sea. And Jesus got all his best friends there, right? These are all his good buddies. They're riding in a boat. And there's a storm all around them. And they think they're going to die and are kind of freaking out a little bit. Jesus is doing what? He's sleeping. Sleeping. Everyone else kind of going crazy. He's asleep. You see this praying in the garden. Jesus gets really worked up. He's praying and pouring his heart out to his father. Drops of blood. He's so in so much anguish. His soul is in turmoil. And what are the, what are the apostles, what are his best friends doing? What's his crew doing? Man, they're sleeping. But then, when the crowd comes, the soldiers come to arrest him, Peter gets all worked up and he pulls out the sword and Jesus is really calm. What, why the difference? Over and over and over again. Why is Jesus calm when other people are are crazy? And why is he kind of worked up when other people are sleeping? Think it's because that Jesus walked in the fear of the Lord. He understood his Father's will and he was willing to submit himself to it no matter what. He listened to wisdom and as he listens to wisdom and his wisdom itself, he lives secure. He doesn't have to be worked up when the soldiers come. He knows this is the Father's will and he said, thy will be done. He's not worried about a storm. Peace be still. This is Jesus walking in the fear of the Lord. He knew that even though he was going to be taken to a cross, that though he died, he would yet live. And brothers and sisters, doesn't he offer that promise out to us as well if we will turn? That those who would trust in my name, though they die, they will yet live. Do we see the way of wisdom? And of walking in the fear of the Lord as the good life like Jesus. Do we see it as following after him? Is it compelling to us to turn and to listen? Because the reality is that the the woman wisdom is is calling out. She's not given physical features that we might be attracted to her beauty. But wisdom itself is attractive and compelling. And we see it in the person of Jesus. Solomon was wise 
beyond his years, and his wisdom became so well known that people would flock to hear him because he was so wise. First Kings says it this way, that people of all nations would come to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. It was compelling and attractive, and they ran to him. In Matthew chapter 12, Scripture tells us that something greater than Solomon is here. Something greater than Solomon is offered. The question is, are we going to hear? Turn and give our lives to this one. Now that's the call. How long? How long will you put this off? Let's pray together. God, we pray that you would convict our hearts now. Father, we come in and we bring our sin and our confusion and our brokenness with us. And God, we're asking that you would help us to drop it off at your feet. That we would stop delaying as simple or foolish or hard-hearted people. We would stop delaying to respond to your call. We want to thank you and recognize your grace in coming to us and calling after us when we are not coming after you and seeking after you. You are gracious. You are good. And God, I pray that you would turn our hearts that we might walk in the fear of the Lord. God, I pray for the people who have faith that you would strengthen it, that they might dwell secure. And that those who have rejected wisdom's call, have rejected your call, would get a taste of the calamity that is to come and would turn. God, we want to thank you for sending Jesus. That all of us in here, though we die, we have a chance to live. Would you help us to heed that call and turn? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.